0: Okay, we're live. Welcome. Thanks all for coming. I'm Peter Dow, and I hope you'll join me here on call-in for a direct talk every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. If you want to queue up to ask a question, download the call-in app, or you can just listen in on any device. So just to start from the beginning, I'm a dual national. I'm Lebanese-American. So I was born both a U.S. citizen and a Lebanese citizen. Both countries are my home. My parents met at Columbia University, and then they settled in Beirut in the 1960s when it was called the Paris of the Middle East. And Beirut really was an unbelievable place, just an idyllic place. And the first 10 years of my life were sort of like a postcard of Mediterranean life. But that world came crashing down in 1975. The Lebanese uh, Civil War began when I was 10 years old, and it lasted 15 years. I was there for most of it. And I can't, there's not enough time to describe even a fraction of what I went through, of course, but I do want to share some experiences in the hope that it gives a more accurate picture of what children in conflict zones go through. And let me just say here, I just want to warn that these are descriptions of bloodshed and violence, so please take note if any of this is a trigger for you. So my memories of war, and I assume others who have gone through trauma, are, are sporadic. It's, it's not linear. It's not chronological. They're bits and pieces and flashbacks. Sometimes I describe it like a strobe light, where each flash is a different event or a moment in time. And that's how I have my memories of the war, because you suppress a lot of it. So I'm just going to talk about it that way. and It may seem disjointed, but, uh, but I think you'll get the picture. And when I think about all the children across the world, the civilians, the parents, the kids, the families, and all the people going through the hell of human violence and war, war creates its own alternate reality. And especially as a child, because you're just forming your views and your personality and understanding of the world. And that gets distorted. And let me give you a perfect example. When, when the war began, we lived in the heart of Beirut, which was ground zero of the conflict. This is a conflict that took 150,000 lives by some estimates, one of the most brutal 20th century wars. Now, what was one of my hobbies? This is going to sound so strange when when I look back at it. when, When other kids my age during that time frame were collecting stamps or baseball cards or coins, I had a shrapnel and bullet collection. I still remember the box. I had this little felt inside and lining. And after heavy bombardment overnight, I'd get up in the morning and underneath our building, we lived on the sixth floor, I would go down to the parking lot behind the building and on the street and start picking up pieces of shrapnel, of metal from rockets, spent bullets, and then I would categorize them like M16, AK-47, and shards of metal. And this was my idea of creating a collection. So, That's just one flashback I have, and I think back to it. Let me give you another one. I, as some of you may know, play piano, and I studied piano for many years, and I was a professional musician for a long time. The Yamaha upright piano that I learned, that I first picked out my Mozart sonata tune on when I was four or five years old and that I learned how to play on, doubled as a barricade. So during the day, I would practice piano. And then at night, we would roll the piano over to the front door to block the door, in case armed militiamen wanted to come in and kill us all. And then the next morning, we'd roll the piano back, and I'd do my lessons and practice my Mozart. And here's something else about war. And when I think about the children in war—Palestinian kids, Afghan kids, Yemeni kids—when I when I think of how I remember the war, it's not just the sights because, you you know, the images we're seeing out of Ukraine, the destroyed buildings, the pockmarked, like the bullet holes in, in, in the buildings and the, the collapse, just the rubble, all of that. Those are sights, those are visual. But war is also smells and sounds. I, I remember being in bomb shelters, the, the, the smell of candles and sweat, the sweat of fear, the adults sweating. And kerosene, because there was no electricity, obviously, that acrid smells of gunpowder, candles, kerosene, all mixed together. And those smells were just, I still remember it to this day. And then the sounds, like the metallic ring of an outgoing mortar, and then the whistle of an incoming rocket. And I recall counting the seconds to impact. And I remember thinking, well, if I finish counting and I hear the boom, I'm still alive. And that would happen all night because the shelling was so heavy. It would be one rocket after the other, 15, 20, 30 per minute. And I would count each time and say, I'm still alive. I heard I heard the blast. And because this was a residential area, this is, was the heart of Beirut. The same thing you're seeing in, in Kiev and places like that in Ukraine, which is just bombardment of civilian areas, of buildings. It would be like New York under missile fire. And that's how we lived, night after night. And another sound I remember distinctly is the ebb and flow of street battles of the gun battles you know when when people talk about the that fireworks or firecrackers sound like gunfire, well, not really because if you hear uh, an a k forty seven fired close to you, it is a terrifying sound it's a powerful sound, and battles with you know 15, 20, 30 you know militiamen battling one another. And when it would move away, the gunfire would move a little bit distant and you would exhale. And then as the battles came closer, because this was street to street fighting, you worried that they would come into your building and that the battle would take place or maybe in your hallways or lobby. And so that ebb and flow of that sound of machine gun fires is another thing that six would be. Let me give you another one. And this is, again, back to how surreal war is. As I got older, in my teens... The war was still ongoing. It started when I was 10, but when I was 16 and 17 and 18, I went to the American University of Beirut before I transferred to NYU. So I remember driving during a period of time where car bombs at supermarkets were the thing, right? Every week or two, you'd have a massive blast and 30, 40, 50 people dead, just horrific. And I was driving to one of the main supermarkets on my way to school. And... Two, three minutes away from the market, the car literally jumped off the pavement. There was an explosion so loud. And I instinctively sort of pulled over and turned behind me. And there was a huge fireball about maybe, I don't know, like five, six blocks away behind me. So I turned my car around. I thought if somebody got hurt, I didn't know what happened. I, I, I headed toward the blast, towards the, 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 the car. I get there. I'm one of the first people there. There are maybe two or three other people there. And I looked down on the ground and in front of me is half a body. The bottom half of the person who had been driving the car. And his top half was about 20 feet away with his hair completely blown out, like a broom almost. And I was looking, I was just, I still to this moment, remember standing over this body thinking, my God, this guy got cut in half. And then I learned as the police came and people started talking, this was a car bomber on his way to that supermarket, most likely. And it detonated before he got there. And now I think back, I think, was that my killer? Was I going to intersect with this car bomb at that market two minutes later? But he exploded and died beforehand. One more story. And soon I want to open it up in... And, and talk to you all about this. And this is what, and this is where my heart breaks for the refugees now coming out of Ukraine and all the other countries where refugees are coming And And I, I have to say the, the mistreatment of some of the refugees and the, the racism uh, is deeply troubling. And the mistreatment of refugees and migrants in this country too, is repulsive and repugnant. And that's something that Biden is also responsible for. And Obama was, and Trump was, we don't talk about that, but let's talk about being displaced from your home. When we finally escaped Beirut, this was 1976 or 77, after two years of war, we decided to come to the U.S. because my, my mom had family here. And, But the airport, the road to the airport was not safe. It was, there were snipers everywhere, bombs, there were mines, there were checkpoints where they would kidnap you and you're gone, like just flash checkpoints. A bunch of armed men show up, drag you out of your car, disappeared. Thousands of people disappeared in Lebanon that way. So we didn't know what to do. And my father finally decided, my father and mother said, look, we're just gonna make a run for the airport. They couldn't find anybody to drive us there. They found a, a taxi that was willing to do it. They paid they paid him in dollars, at like two, three hundred dollars, which was a fortune at the time, of course. And he said, Okay, I'll do it. We pack everything. And I could I still remember, this is what children, again, uh, to give you some insight, I remember seeing fear in my father's eyes. He was uh, getting a little emo- emotional, a very tough, tough individual. But I could see the fear in his eyes because, you know, it was five children and trying to take them to an airport in a war, thinking we could all be killed. And my parents were, were scared and I could see that. So we finally piled into the car, raced to the airport, which was about 45 minutes to an hour away through desolate streets. And hard to describe that just the sheer terror of that drive through 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 a complete war zone. And you could hear the sniper fire. But we finally got to the airport and we get to the airport. And my father looks at my mother and he says, do you have my passport? And she looks at him and says, looks at the passport. I have the expired one. They had not brought my dad's valid passport, so he couldn't travel. And now we're at the airport and they have to make a decision. My dad decided to race back, doubled what he paid the driver and said, you got to take me. I got to get my passport. And that hour, hour and a half or two hours of waiting for my father to know whether he would survive and make it. Maybe the most harrowing couple of hours, you know, of my life as a child. And for my mother, I can only imagine there she is with her children. Her husband is racing back, could be shot. But he made it back. He made it back. Thank heavens. And those are some of the harrowing, painful, painful things that people go through. You know, you see images. The images don't tell you enough. And this is why I condemn Putin I condemn anybody who makes war. I condemn American imperialism and Russian imperialism and all aggression and all state projection of power. It's not just Russia and Putin. All across the world, violence is perpetrated against people. And we have to speak out about it everywhere we see it, not just one place. And we can hold all those thoughts at one time. You know, I, it, it, it it is quite frustrating that people say, well, if you criticize Putin, then you must be defending Biden. Well, I'm not. I'm not defending any imperialists. Joe Biden is currently starving children in Afghanistan. That's a crime against humanity and stealing their money. And Putin is bombarding civilian areas. This is monstrous, all of it. And one last story I want to tell you about the U.S. embassy bombing I was on the campus of the American University of Beirut, which was adjacent to the U.S. Embassy. And I'm standing there with my brother. A few hundred feet away, the embassy is hit by a car bomb. The whole side of the building comes down. I don't know, maybe 100, 200 people died in this. I was lifted off the ground from the power of the explosion. And I ran and looked, and I saw the whole facade of the building down, and I saw bodies... I saw people crawling down the side of the whole, you know, front of the building had come off. So people were just crawling down the rubble trying to get down. And I still remember that. And all these children and the ones who survive, a prayer for those who don't, the ones who do survive, they're going to have lifelong scars, lifelong scars. And I live with those scars every day. I'm hypervigilant about my loved ones. I still have nightmares about being in gun battles and I wake up with night terrors. So as I say, my heart breaks for everyone facing war and violence. I am so sick of a world in which powerful men with huge arsenals of weapons threaten the globe. We're dealing with a pandemic. We don't need war on top of a pandemic. Anyway, let me uh, open this up to some discussion I'll invite some people to speak. Let me start by uh, Shauna, you're a dear friend. And um, do do you want to unmute yourself? I'd love to hear. I think uh, you you have some thoughts, I assume, about trauma and and some of these experiences. Do you want to unmute? Hello? Hey, we can hear you.
1: Hi. Wow. First of all, Hi, Peter. Hi, Leela. Hi, everyone. Um, I needed a minute to compose myself. That was um, powerful and heartbreaking. And thank you so much for sharing your truth, Peter. That's, I'm just breathing it out. Bear with me. That was a lot. I was not aware that you went through so much
0: um yes and sorry and sorry to go straight to you Shauna. i know uh i know you know some of my story but i i know you didn't know that much so if you need to take a minute um i'm okay but but i do appreciate your your spirituality and your ability to sort of see you know the human side of things which is why i asked you to to respond so take any time that you need
1: thank you no i'm grateful if you can speak your truth i can sit here and bear witness to it um I hope people can appreciate what you just said to us. You know, most of us will not have to go through war terrors like you explained that you went through. Most of us will not have to go through war, period. And the fact that you went through that as a child, you know, it's really interesting. What we go through as children, how it shapes us and molds us as adults. You know, look at you now being such a beautiful voice for anti-war anti-everything imperialistic i'm i'm quite moved and thank you so much i i'm at a loss for words that was um that was heartbreaking and beautiful and i can see how this has come full circle for you and for the leftist movement
0: (sighs) yes that that is that's such a good point you know it's it's You know, I was scheduled to go down to the World Trade Center on 9-11. I had a meeting that morning. I never went because a family member called and said there's something going on down there. But that day in New York, I thought, Peter, you can't escape war and violence. You know, when I when I finally got out of Lebanon, I thought, this is it. You know, you can you can live a life that is not, you know, Heavy n- missiles and bombardment of your building. At least you can, you know, you can just breathe. And then nine eleven happened, and, and right. all the other violence and war that happened. So yes, it's inescapable human violence.
1: You know, trauma is an interesting thing. You know, I, my husband deployed. I'm also anti-war and anti-MIC. My husband deployed nine times. He goes through the same PTSD-like symptoms. I have a traumatic um, childhood experience or many experiences rather. And I experienced the same PTSD flashbacks and terrors, but you know what? We can get stuck in that or we can use that to fuel us to teach and help others. And that's why I love you and Leela and your work so much. It's so entrenched in humanity and integrity and love and compassion without losing the fight without it becoming a weakness it's such a strength and i'm so grateful for your voice for legal it's for everyone here because we know we're all walking wounded aren't we (laughs) we've all gone through something so i'm not gonna hog the the line and i know a lot of people want to speak i apologize it took me a second i just had to compose myself but i'm here holding space for all of this for me this was such a beautiful and powerful conversation thank you so
0: very much Thank you for your kind words, my friend. Thank you so much, and we really appreciate you as i as I've always said you know having the the connection to other humans is what helps yes. us all get through life that's, yes. that's, that's how this works you know and so and you're, and, and you're one of those people. Let me see Thanks. stephanie uh, Shauna thank you Stephanie, you're in the room do you want to unmute and, and um, you know I, I I threw the first response to Shauna and I, I feel sort of bad about it because it's it's, it's heavy but um do you want to
2: yeah, I mean, I, I, wow. Um, it's just, um, yeah, I'm speechless. I, I do want to thank you for being brave enough to share with everyone what you went through because, you know, it's, it's, it's traumatizing to, to relive, you know, what, what you endured. And, and I'm so sorry you went through that. But I'm also so grateful that you're here with us now and able to speak truth to power we we need people who have been through what you've been through people who've lived through war and survived to speak out against what's going on right now um it's just been really horrific this last week watching people automatically uh, assume that they have to pick a side and that they have to start advocating for war and and defending these warmongers. I mean, I, you know, it's it, it, it's just mind boggling. And I, I'm sure it's been very difficult for you to, to see people who just, you know, have never, for the most part, left their living room. And by that, I mean, you know, their, their hometown, their, their country to go out into the world and to, to understand what, what that's like, you know they 've had these very privileged lives, and just to see them to cheer on war is just horrible so thank you so very much for for being the antithesis to that and 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 speaking out against what 's going on and my thank heart you. my heart goes out to you-
0: Th- thank you stephanie thank you it's it's i you know you build we all know this right all of us have our own trauma and all difficulties and everything we 've been through, and we build um walls and ways of protecting ourselves and coping. But when I see my my daughter, for example, and the world she's facing, and when I see kids, all the kids suffering across the world, and, and, I, and I think, my God, why are we doing this to them? And the bleakness, the bleakness, you're, we're talking about nuclear war again. I mean, really, it's mind boggling that we're in this place in the 21st century. What is wrong with human beings? This is why when I talk about being a leftist, I talk about uprooting this entire system and building something new and better because what we have now is not working. Um, Thank you, Stephanie. And again, thank you, Shauna. Jason, do you want to unmute my friend? Thank you, Stephanie. Jason, you there?
3: Yeah, I'm here. Um, I'm on a ferry in the middle of the Puget Sound, so I hope my reception is okay. Um, I came to politics through the anti-war movement, as you know, and I talk about this um, as a candidate, and you know, people ask me, you know, well, what have I done? And I say, I've I've been a staunch anti-war advocate for 30 years, and, you know, I I protested the first Iraq war when I was 19 years old. Um, And I'm, as a high school teacher for 20 years, I would have students come to me and they would want me to sign, you know, a recommendation for them. They would, they want to go into the military. We were, you know, I taught high school from, uh, 1999 to 2018 and going through that Iraq war period, um, in the early two thousands, I would, I would have, students come to me and they would want me to sign recommendations for them to to go into the service. They wanted to, you know, recruiters had gotten a hold of them and and I would not do it and unless and they took um anti war materials like counter recruitment materials home. In fact, for the first, you know, five or six years of my career I I handed out um who actually would have been starting in two thousand three because this this kind of came around with no child left behind. I mean, our, our government is so insidious with war that they actually wrote into no child left behind that high schools have to provide information of students, you know, contact information of students to the military if they want federal funding. Um, and students could opt out of that. And and so uh, I, I went to the school board many times and I said, you need to make these, the, you know, you need to make students aware of this opt out provision. And they refused to make it bigger than it was like a little byline in some of the um, informational materials that were sent home. And so I would start out the first day of school um, in my classes, handing out, you know, printed opt out forms and uh, have my explain to my students, you know, the military wants your information. I'm an anti-war activist. This is information you deserve. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I would do these opt out drives. But. It's it's so it's so hard for me to see, because I I want to say that the you know one of the one of the firmest positions of the left the left as a philosophy is an anti-war position um, and so I find it troubling that so many on the left right now um, are really buying into. Uh, a very narrow view of what's going on in, in, in uh, the Ukraine. And Putin is wrong, absolutely. You know, anybody, like you said, Peter, anybody who makes war like this is wrong. Uh, Putin's a war criminal. Um, but if we don't take a long view of how this came about, um, and if we don't take some responsibility uh, on the West... Um, to realize how much we buy into the war machine um, as just part of our culture. Uh, this is this is going to be ongoing to to the end of humanity, you know, and and here we are where we're potentially close to the to the to the brink of nuclear war. It's it's you know, I I'm 50 years old and, you know, I grew up in the 70s and 80s and, and we we knew that. The Cold War existed and was a nuclear threat. That was my high school years. And we thought, you know, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, that that all that was behind us. I mean, and and I think for for the last 30 or so years, it it kind of felt like it was behind us. But, you know, I I'll I'll close with this and I'll say to all of the leaders past and present. Who thought that a policy of mutual assured destruction would lead to anything but mutually assured destruction, um, congratulations, here we are. I mean, who knows where this is going? And, and uh, I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for your kids. Um, and we're in a very precarious place right now.
0: Yeah, we are. We are. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for all your anti-war activism over the years. You and I started in the same place, which is opposing the Iraq War. I was in the streets every day because I knew what war was and I knew all the lies that Bush was spreading. I, It still amazes me to this day that after we went from Bush, you know, Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi decided he wasn't worth impeaching because you don't impeach for war crimes. Right. And then Obama and Biden continued Bush's worst civil liberties transgressions. So they and now George Bush and Cheney are now the favorites of many Democrats and liberals. I mean, those of us who, who, who marched against that war, it's, it's just mind boggling. Uh, Kusha, you wanna um, ask your question?
4: Hello, Peter, thank you so much for bringing me uh, to speak. Um, and I would love to uh, um, ask a question, yes. Firstly, I would like to say that it's um, amazing how you have such a vivid recollection of these chilling moments and traumatic moments of war And of course, uh, you know, it's of course a testament to your memory. I mean, you clearly have a good one in that sense. But I think it's something I noticed from so many people who uh, have undergone the traumas of war, in addition to so many other traumas. But war is one of the most egregious and heinous uh, demonstrations of the worst of humanity throughout our history. And it reminds me of one of my dear, close friends, my elementary school principal, Mr. Sidney Morrison. Uh, he was born in March of 1947. He's a, he was in the Vietnam War. It was very interesting because he's a pacifist. He's actually about a religion from the Middle East, from Iran, actually, during the time of the Ghajar Empire. Mr. Morrison is a black American, uh, raised in New York, came to Los Angeles uh, in high school time, went to UCLA. Uh, he sent off to the Vietnam War despite being a conscientious uh, objector. So he was tasked as a medic. And the way you recalled your time during the Lebanese Civil War remind me pretty identically of when he talked to me about how, for instance, he was um, brave, uh, trying to just save anyone who was in his um, group um, after they had been injured. Again, I didn't believe the U.S. should have been there at all. They devastated Vietnam. They devastated Southeast Asia. Uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Richard Milhouse Nixon, Henry Alfred Kissinger, some of the worst war criminals in, in modern human history. Uh, but Mr. Morrison was there, And in any event, he had, he had told me several stories about his time. And and he's so articulate, so brilliant. He was an amazing uh, principal. He was not just my principal at my elementary school. He was also a principal at another high school in my uh, hometown. At a middle school in my hometown and another elementary school in my hometown. I mean, our elementary school was the California Distinguished School under Mr. Morris. And he actually did uh, a piece, uh, a a video piece with LA Times not too long ago. He does a lot of writings for them. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he was just a few steps away from a landmine when he was in war. And the way you described the explosion from you, this fireball, it was the way he described how he was just a, a mine. And one of his, I don't know, one of the leaders, higher-ups in the military told him, watch out. And he just dodged it by a few millimeters. Otherwise, he would have blown up. And just a few days after that, I think he said, or maybe the next day, I don't recall exactly, but, uh, like, leadership shifted, as often happens in war. And they brought in some much more ardent, passionate believers in the project of the U.S. intervention in Vietnam, heinous actors. And um, one of them wanted to stage like, you know, like a, an ambush against the opponents. And um, the Vietnamese opponents were aware and they were ready and they killed just about everyone uh, else who went along for that. And Mr. Morrison was a senior medic, so he decided to opt out. But all the other medics went. So everyone else who went was killed. And the I think it was a major. I don't know exactly the position. But the guy who saved his life from that landmine blew up. And then he spent a lot of time, Mr. Morrison, to be able to find out about his family and finally contacted him when he was at working uh-huh. as a principal of the high school. But these, these yeah, stories... You, you know, important. let me... Uh, yeah, if I, if I can just tell you,
0: Kusha, one of my uh, landmine stories. Um, I have two similar stories to that very briefly. Uh, I was conscripted at 15 years old into uh-huh. a uh, Lebanese Christian militia. And because it was wartime and they just wanted to do it, almost instant training... They trained with live ammunition, and I remember going into a room, they packed about 30 of us, young boys, 15, 16 years old, into a room with a landmine and sort of sort of playing around like, well, what happens if I touch it? And they were just reckless. They would fire at us with with live ammunition during training sessions. Um, and another incident, when I was sitting out on a balcony, on our 6th floor balcony in Beirut during the earlier days, when I was maybe 12, 11 or 12, and I remember seeing a red flash. And my, 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 my mother was screaming, get inside, get inside. There, you know, the shelling is starting. We would hide in the hallways. And, and I remember seeing a flash. I ran inside. It was actually an incoming missile, but it, 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 it um, impacted. Actually, there's an image today from Ukraine of a, of a tank fire. Uh, some person has a cell phone, and the, actually the incoming hits the actual building. And you could see the explosion. Similar thing happened, but it, it actually impacted underneath the building. That was like seeing, you know, death come at you. So um, anyway, do you have a question, Kusha? I want to move on to Anthony.
4: Yes, I do. I do. I definitely do. Go for it. So, you know, my family also experienced some of the horrors of war and uh, oppressive governments. My mom lived through the Iran-Iraq war when Saddam started sending missiles into Tehran as well, like near her neighborhood. So it's the missile stories you describe. I've heard similar ones as well. My uncle on my mom's side deserted during the Iran-Iraq war. Uh, I don't even know why he was there. He, he didn't even believe in it at all. He was just in the back supplying the weapons when they would have the fightings. He was, and he was so intimidated when the Iraq soldiers of Saddam threw heads over to his side, they se- sever heads and, and throw them over to intimidate. Uh, that's, of course, that's awful. Yep. Um, you know, they goaded Saddam into that war. So, um, it was atrocious from the beginning. Saddam was just like Putin and he was willing to escalate and risk so many lives and take so many lives and caught and rob so many people of their lives. Now that's right. a, that's a, that's a, that's a whole other conversation there. There's,
0: I mean, there's so many regions in the world and areas in which the, the state propaganda here in the U S paints one particular version of events. I think Jason was alluding to this as well, but if you look at the geopolitical reality and, and the history of what happens, um, there's so much more nuance and, mm-hmm. you know, the, but of course, you know, you, you Here we are in America, and this is a place where where, where propaganda makes the Americans Mm -hmm. heroes. That's what you'll see in Biden's speech tonight. Kush, I'm going to move on to Anthony. If if I have a specific question, question,
4: go ahead. Yeah, I do have a question. So I'm really curious to know, because you were in the Lebanese— Civil War, and you were with a Christian militia. Militia. This is my question, and I'll stop speaking. Thank you very much. Sure. Is what your thoughts are about when the Islamic Republic came in and created Hezbollah? Specifically, people like Musa al-Sadr who came and created the Amal Party, and Mustafa Chamran. If you have any thoughts on them, I would really love to know because people like Ron Yakalik who has these thoughts on Middle East politics, that I. Find very problematic when it comes to this notion of anti-imperialism leading to tacit or covert support for the Islamic Republic of Iran. She said this is what I'm gonna end on. She said, quote, often wind up dead, end quote. Please name critics, this is still quoting her. That was a quote within the quote. Please she said, please name critics of Hezbollah who were killed. Half of Lebanon regularly condemns Hezbollah in the harshest terms. They do so on the country's biggest media outlets. Who else has been targeted with a beating, lead, and an assassination? All these Western correspondents safely tweeting against Hezbollah. Yeah, you're cutting. Uh, Kousha, the I'm sorry, you're, you're, that killed you're critics cutting out a little bit.
0: You're cutting out a little oh, bit. let me, let me these, answer you. Yeah, she said all these yeah, Western correspondents tweeting you're, against you're, Hezbollah. Yeah, you're cutting out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me. Uh. Okay. Um, Anthony, hold on a second. Um, let me just respond to the question. Kusha, you were cutting in and out. We weren't hearing you well. Um, Anthony, you've been invited uh, as a speaker. If you want to uh, accept the invitation, you can join the room. Look, here's the answer to the question. Lebanon, it was a sectarian war to some extent, but it was also larger forces just uh, testing out weapons. I remember, you know, dogfights between Israeli and Syrian jets. And then I remember when the, the U.S. arrived and started uh, shelling neighborhoods from uh, New Jersey battleship um in in terms of, of, of the various factions, you know, Lebanon is sort of a melting pot of 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 religions. And various groups had, you know, both a a religious organization, right, but also had the more because of the war itself, the more militant and malicious side. So, I'm to, if I'm going to wade into that right now, this would be a, a multi-hour conversation. So, I think, uh, respectfully, I think I'm going to um, dodge the question to some extent. I think what's important to me, what's important to me, and I, and I keep saying this, is to condemn violence on all sides, violence against civilians, and aggression. I mean. There is self-defense and we have to account for self-defense in this world. And it does happen. But the targeting of civilians is one of the most heinous things imaginable. So let me uh, go to Professor Zenkis there. Can you unmute yourself, Anthony? And Kusha, thank you so much for your comments. I really appreciate your input.
5: Okay. Okay. Uh, please forgive me for not having figured out Colin yet, but I think I'm getting it. Um, you know, I was really moved by, as I think everybody was, by your opening um, statements and, and talking about your personal experience. And it's funny because, you know, like some of the other speakers, I was very involved in anti-war stuff. That's what drew me into the idea of the left and political activism. And I happened to uh, meet and become friends with uh, some refugees from El Salvador and Nicaragua in. Um, uh, it was the early 80s after the war in El Salvador started raging, and you know the U.S. backed death squads and everything. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about their experiences, and I knew it was right that I was part of this, but it never connected with me as far as, well, what does this mean? What's it like to live there? And, you know, I hope, I hope I never know. Um, but I look at my work for years, for those that don't know, I worked, um, at a victim services center, actually at two of them. And I did a lot of work with kids who were sexually abused. And what I learned was that trauma is universal and that, the the cause of the trauma, it, of course it matters, but the body responds and the brain responds in very similar ways, regardless of what the cause is. And a lot of people think that the trauma happens at the time of the events, and it does. But what it also does is it, and, and Peter, you really eloquently talked about this, it can last a lifetime, and you talk about hypervigilance and, you know, uh, night terrors and worrying about your children and all of these things. And what trauma does is it sets our brain up to not feel safe in the world. And, you know, when I think about it, I was, was thinking the same things that you were, you were just saying, Peter, which is, he, you know, it's 2022. I feel like we just hit rewind. Are are we starting a new Cold War? Do I have to be worried about nuclear war again? When I was in high school, I used to have nightmares about it. What what could happen? And then I think about all these kids who just have come through this two years of, you know, horrible social isolation, not being with their friends, fear of getting sick, fear of family members getting ill. And now this is what the world is giving them fear of a nuclear war, fear of no future. And it just makes me profoundly sad. And I think, I I interestingly just watched the other night, I'm into old science fiction movies, and I just watched The Day the Earth Stood Still Again. Haven't seen it in at least 20 years. And if anybody's into that kind of thing, it's got a very simple message, but it's, You know, it's that message of of passivism and the idea is that aliens come to Earth and say, you can do what you want here, but if you start going out into space and you're going to continue this mentality, we can't have you as part of our, you know, our family of whatever. And and the point is that it blows my mind that that occurred to me that I should watch that again, that here we are you know with, with all this technology and all god we're so smart we can do we can do so many things and still you know i guess it just goes back to that einstein quote the splitting of the atom changed everything about humankind except the way it sees the world yeah. and we we haven't changed the way we see it so i i do i i hurt inside for the trauma that these people in ukraine are feeling for the trauma of those refugees from nigeria and india who Um, you know, weren't allowed out of the country and, uh, that was horrible. The, the image of the Russian soldier crying really, really got me. I mean, I was in tears over that. And then the Russian people who don't want war. And then I think about the people in Yemen and Somalia where we just started bombing again. And I think we just need a global workers, anti war and pro justice movement. It can't be about nations anymore. Sorry that was so meandering, but those are my No thoughts. no
0: no that's no no that's not meandering at all. I mean this is we're we're humans and I appreciate this this group here. You know, you guys were on the last call and you're all dear friends and we're all going through this together. It's it's not easy. And the the stress on the body, as I said last time, and the constant state of fear. As I say, I've become accustomed to it. I've become functional with it since the war. But I know for others who have not experienced that, and this is new for them, in those first few years, is, you know the combination of the pandemic and now this in, in Ukraine, living in a state of terror, not knowing if there is a future, not knowing if you're going to wake up. But one, one last little, one of my sort of strobe light flashbacks, during a period of time when there were a lot of car bombs, I remember walking to school and thinking each double, double parked car could be my end it could just blow up and i'd be incinerated and and that would happen every day like i i I'd, I'd walk and is it this car well is this one going to blow up is this my last breath and i'm carrying school books and having these thoughts and now i'm seeing you know for 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 families in places like Ukraine, or, or the starving children in Afghanistan, whose money is being stolen by the U.S. government. What is their future? They don't know if they have food to eat tomorrow. You know, what What kind of a world is this? I want to take the, um, the last call, and then I want to uh, come back um, to, to wrap up to Shauna, because I really did uh, throw it right to you immediately. And I assume you had some more time to think through things, and um, I want to just give you um, time to speak. But let me just take the next caller, and then and then we'll wind down. And whoever wants to go watch Biden's propaganda show, so um, there you go. Can you unmute?
6: Hello. Can you? Hey, welcome back. Hello. How are you guys?
0: Good. Good to have you back.
6: Oh, uh, thank you. Um, well, I had a, a a little comment and then a question, so I'll just try to go quick but you know the past week has been chaotic I guess for everybody I mean everybody's watching this and it had like so much has happened that I just can't really wrap my head around every single thing that has happened so far because everything's just moving fast but you know I'm Syrian myself and the, the the thing that I've been thinking about the most has been um These, the kid, the has been really just like uh, how nobody in Russia really wants this, and seeing the protests in Russia, which kind of shocked me because I never really would have expected it. You know, Um, we don't really get a lot of the Russian perspective um, anywhere, really. You know, like of the people, Um, seeing just like the whole world come to support Ukraine has been um kind of bittersweet because you know just like from like a Syrian perspective especially like when uh, the borders start opening and everybody start fleeing it's just been very like it hasn't even been like transparent it's been very very clear you know and and, and i know pretty much everybody saw like those couple um clip snippets of uh, the news and journalists from over there going viral about how you know civilized versus uncivilized you know like those clips and i see you know it's just very stark how depending on where you're from like who like who you are as a person like that's how you're going to be treated by a government and i don't know like it's just very clear it's just very clear um because you know poland is accepting these ukrainian refugees almost immediately they, they they could probably take the whole um country if they wanted to and then but at the edges but at the edges of the Poland border, the Belarus border, the Hungarian border are camps of Syrians had to have been there for months in the in the bitter winter cold, right? So it's like it's just very transparent how they treat people. Um and,
0: Yeah, and it's 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 absolutely terrible. The Syrian people and- have suffered so greatly.
6: Yeah, and you know what? Um it, it it was so wild to see it because these aren't American journals, right? For the most part, they were uh European um videos that have gone because in America, you know, they'll they'll cover up what they really want to say with fancy words and like mind twisty games and whatever. But over there they're just straight up said, you know, these are these are, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed people who are refugees now. And I was like, wow, like they're just so explicit about it over there. But um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, but, I was going to um, say,
0: no, I was going to just, just to respond to you. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. It's been, it's been unbelievable. Like you talk about mask off moments, right? I mean, mask basically.
6: off moments completely. Yeah. yeah but anyway, um, and go, then go ahead. Go I think ahead. About, yeah. Oh yeah. And then I saw the video about Africans in Ukraine thing um and I saw the one video of the mom the I don't know where she was from Ukrainian black mom and she had a little baby and they were on the border and the train had left them and it just made me think because where I live right now um we have had refugees have come in weird um the way that they were brought in at least where I live, you know, um, they bring them um, in, in groups at a time, at least in my state, and they put them all in one area. And so, you know, you, you put in your application, I guess, overseas, wherever you're from, if you're from, like, in a camp in Jordan or uh, in Turkey or whatever, you put in an application, takes months, if not years, to process. And then the U.S. government, you know, it has quotas. You know, it has quotas. Um, They act like they'll accept refugees, but U.S., Canada, Britain, they do not take in people as much as they should, and they are, you know, as you were saying, Peter, like, biggest imperialists. They're the ones who are really behind a lot of this junk, but um, anyway, I remember my one neighbor, and she was telling us how, she has five kids, and she was in a camp, uh, I think on, like, the Turkish border or whatever for a couple years, and you know they were in tent cities, and her son, her one of her youngest sons. Um, this this was back when the camps were still getting established too. So he's actually one of her older sons, and I think he's like eighteen now, actually, or fifteen. I don't know. I don't know his age, but he's like around that age. Um, he was born really healthy, but because um, they were intense and nobody was helping him, nobody was accepting him. he he got you know as an infant or like as a child he got really sick and now he has really intense I guess cerebral palsy is the closest they could come to diagnosing him and some other stuff and um I just kept thinking I just keep thinking about this mom and I keep thinking about these kids and how these people are like walking I don't know what the distance was um for three days straight or whatever um in the cold, you know, just, like, overnight, their whole lives were upended. And it's kind of weird to see, because even though I am Syrian and everything, it's, like, seeing black and brown people become refugees, it all hurts every time, but I don't know if it's, like, internalized racism or whatever, but seeing it happen to white people is just shocking, you know? It it hurts in, like, a new way, because it's, like, at the end of the day, we're all human, but it's like, I'm used to seeing my people like this.
0: Yeah, and no, I know. Used, and, and,
6: used, you know what I mean? Uh, trying to say, right. like, I'm not used to it, but like, I'm used to it.
0: No, I know. We, well, but the, you're, you're triggering a thought uh, in my mind that I, that I, that I want to share that the past couple of days I've been arguing with uh, right-wingers and Republicans um, <laughs> over the picture of the, the Haitians, um, the Haitian migrants who were being, you know, were they being whipped by the uh, you know a, a border patrol agent on a horse, or was they was, mm-hmm. does he have a rein or whatever it was, but the dehumanization of the language that these Republicans use, and the liberals use it too that suddenly suddenly the, the, oh, yeah. the abuse of people at the border doesn 't matter anymore now that Trump is gone right but, uh, but you know there, it's, an illegal, it's an invasion an invasion of, of illegals first of all, humans are not illegal second of all it 's mm-hmm. not an invasion. These are people who are escaping violence that we helped create in some of their countries. And they're trying to come here for a better life. And then they're dehumanized and treated like dirt and treated like animals and corralled by horses. Um, the injustice of it just it makes me, makes me sick to my stomach. But anyway, did, did you have a question um, or did you want to finish? I did. I did. Yeah, I go did. Ahead.
6: Um, I wanted to ask you because I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm relatively young. I'm not really into like deep, deep into like leftist theory places whatever I'm usually just like on the ground doing work kind of person right but I've re- I've been seeing this for years where um, leftists you know so-called leftists from all over you know whether they're more radical or like kind of there but it's like the more I don't want to say radical that's like you know loaded word but you know more so than others um where they are so anti-western imperialist that whenever something is happening in another country and mostly i'm talking about syria or like north korea like those are like the big ones syria is a big one mostly where they're so anti-imperialist that they will go and support the other side um in a way where like at first you're like okay you know um they're clear. They clearly don't want war. I can I can agree on that. But why are they propping up this this other dictator, right? And I saw That's this a lot when yeah. it came to Syria, where yeah. um, where it was happening with Putin. I don't. I I honestly I haven't really seen a lot of people be pro Putin, but it's more like more like anti US. But then they they never really mention what Putin has done to his own people, right? But it's like yeah. So this is this like, is a so, key point, right? Yeah, they're sorry, so ahead. anti-U.S. imperialism, you know, which, which I'm not obviously I'm not against. To the point that they turn, um, I don't know, like how to say, it. like they turn pro-dictatorship overseas, and I and I've seen this happen with these, uh, and and I'll go to like these different accounts on Twitter who are like talking about. Being anti-NATO, anti-war, and I'm like, okay. And then I scroll down, and there's like this pro-Assadist tweets, and I'm like, look, what is going on here? Like, I like, my, and my question is, how do we on the left navigate through that?
0: That is that is an absolutely exceptional question, and extremely timely because I've spent my whole day today arguing with people who are flooding my mentions on Twitter because I criticize Putin. Oh, you're a neoliberal Hillary lover, and I'm thinking, wait, 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 wait a minute. Putin is ordering. Well, you gotta be
6: the- careful because some of those accounts could be bots, but a lot of the ones I've seen, they're yeah. they're like, and I've known people who were like, i like my, one of my friends, like we're not friends no more because of this because they blocked me where they were talking about, you know, I don't. You you know they would say things like the democratically elected president of Syria. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like I'm Syrian. Like what are you talking about, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. But see, but here, right? But so, but but just to respond, look, it it is a big problem, and I'm seeing that Ukraine has really triggered a real split. Now again, there are lots of bots, lots of trolls, a lot of this is organized uh, propaganda efforts. But fundamentally, and I'm not here to define leftism because who am I to define leftism? Everybody has their own definition of what they are when they call themselves a leftist. But typically, as Jason said, you're anti-war if you're a leftist, you're anti-imperialist, you're anti-state projection of power, you're anti-coercion. But the whole point of being a leftist is we want to restructure a society that eliminates exploitation and oppression and violence and coercion, right? So if you're a leftist supporting Putin just because NATO, you, you, you argue, well, NATO goaded him into it. They were encroaching on him does that mean you go start killing children? That is insane. That is just, it's unacceptable and it's not, and to me, it's not its not even about leftism at that point. At that point, you're being contrarian to the point where you're no longer, you're no longer exercising your human capacity for a conscience. We have to condemn violence anywhere and everywhere it takes place. So this whole thing about, well, I'm a leftist, therefore I have to be more anti-America than, no. Wherever you see violence, you condemn it. We want a better world. We want a better world from all these these violent leaders because they're everywhere. Everywhere I've been in the world and everywhere I've gone, everywhere I've looked, everything I study about history. History is is, is basically the story of these, you know, 99 out of 100 times it's it's a man, it's a male, and they're out there killing and slaughtering and murdering and getting away with it, which is the worst part of it. Well, thank you again for your comment. I wanted to give uh, Shauna uh, a minute to speak. If you had some more thoughts or Stephanie or anybody, Jason, you know, go ahead, Shauna.
1: Yeah. So, Peter, you're so kind and always asking leftists or anyone really how we're all doing. I'd love if everyone could unmute that would like to and kind of join in solidarity asking you, how are you? How are you after telling us your story? How are you after sharing your truth? How are you after all that you endure online just to speak your truth and fight for a better world?
0: And you're you're asking me. I'm asking you. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure if you're asking the other people who are speaking. Thank you for asking that question, Shauna. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to answer that question. I've had a, um, you know, 20 plus years Online, I think the thing, one of the things that that gets to me the most, um, I'll be honest about this, I don't think really I, I admitted this before, when I hear, you know, bullshit like grifter, mm-hmm. grifter, I mean, really, I lived through a war, I've lived through hell in my life, I've been through all sorts of horrible things, I've devoted my entire life to trying to make a difference. And yes sure I sort of felt for the whole Democratic Party, you know, okay, if I elect Hillary Clinton the first woman president. And then as I evolved and I looked and I thought, wait a minute, you know, I'm supporting this sort of neoliberal establishment and I moved further left, I radicalized, I expressed myself. Right. And so it it does it does look, I've very thick skin and I was, you know, I was in the military and I've been through a lot of tough things in my life, so I don't I I don't get hurt very easily, but I do get quite frustrated, and thank you for asking, Shauna, with people questioning my integrity and motives. You know, for me, the most important thing in the world, and this is cultural too, as the as, as Lebanese American, honor and dignity and integrity and loyalty are exceptionally important to me. Yes. Um, especially integrity. And yes. uh, that's why I will admit faults when I'm wrong. Right. So when my integrity is questioned, I do get uh you know i want i want to say go f yourself (laughs) and i pretty much hold myself back but anyway the answer to your question i'm doing okay thank you and i just want to leave a mark on the world of good i don't know how many years i have left i'm in my mid-50s maybe maybe a year maybe 10 maybe 20 i don't know but i do want to leave good behind me But anyway thank you for asking absolutely yeah thank you anybody Uh, else uh, want to jump in uh, thank you, Shauna. Thank you. Uh, well, it's nine o'clock. If anybody wants to go watch the speech, I think I'm going to wind down. Anybody want to add a final word?
3: I, I did want to add one final word. And I, I just want to say this because I we haven't addressed it um, in this chat. And that is that everybody really needs to be introspective about um, what they're seeing with sort of the outpouring of supports for Ukraine. Um, and, and not that there should not be. That's not at all what I'm saying. But to contrast that with um, how we feel, you know, people are saying uh, we need to open our borders to all Ukrainian refugees, and I 100% agree. Uh, but contrast that to the things that, um, you know, are, are different about uh, other places that are at war, um, you know, how we feel about what's going on uh, with Israel-Palestine, um how we would feel, for example, if Russia had chosen to for whatever reason invade Iran instead of ukraine um and and I think i I think that I, I see a lot of um, my friends of color out there in social media identifying these things, and I really want to give voice to that because I think there there is something there is something to it that we have to examine about ourselves as a country um, and I, I'll just I'll leave it at that and and um I, I I really hope people uh, think about that and and that that we start treating all people more equally uh, in that regard.
0: I I agree. I agree, Jason. That's an excellent excellent point. Look, uh, racism is deeply deeply ingrained in this country, in its history, in its founding, in in its institutions, and it's almost taken for granted that things are looked at through a racist lens and people don't pay attention but of course you know this is making people think about stuff so that's an excellent point so i'm 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 going to conclude i thank every single one of you for for being here and for listening and um i value your friendship and i value your integrity as i say which is very important for me and 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 how hard you're all out there trying to make a difference in the world every single one of you so Uh, Thank you so much, and hopefully we'll talk next week. All right, take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye, everybody.